Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. All right, well, who here, I just show of hands, who loves camping? Just put your hands up. Okay, about half. Who hates camping? That, uh, you know, should be the other half or, or thereabouts. Well, if you're here this morning and you hate camping, then I'm probably going to remind you over the next half an hour why you hate camping. If, uh, if you're here and you love camping, you know, you're possibly going to be tempted somewhere through this message to actually get up, jump in your car and go and find a relaxing spot to camp. I want to encourage you today to resist that temptation. It's raining outside, there's nothing worse than camping uh, in the rain. But, uh, you know, camping, you know, it's an adventure of leaving the comforts of home to go to a temporary, somewhat less comfortable place to enjoy that time to relax for a while. And so we pack all the stuff in the car and, and we drive to a particular spot and we put up our temporary shelter. We give ourselves a temporary place to stay for a while and then we unfold our temporary chair, which isn't as comfortable as the chair that we have in ho- at home, but it's only temporary that we have to sit in that chair and then we unpack our temporary kitchen which again you know doesn't have all the comforts of home but strangely food you know that you'd never eat at home seems delightful when you're camping and uh, we set up our temporary kitchen and then we blow up our temporary bed And some of you are right now remembering why you hate camping. You've woken up at some point in the middle of the night and your airbed has gone half down and it started to rain and your backside is touching the ground and you can feel the, the, the moisture starting to rise up through your bed and so you're kind of doing these ones in the dark at night and you're trying to find your bed and you're trying to find how to blow it up and you've trodden on everybody in your family and you're sitting there... <coughs> using all of your breath to try and blow your temporary bed back up so you can get some sleep. You see, camping, camping is an adventure of leaving the comforts of home to go somewhere temporary and slightly less comfortable for a time to enjoy that place. And once you've enjoyed that place, you pack everything back up again, put it back in your car, and you head back home. Now, in 2004, as a family, we actually got really good at this. We, uh, we left our old home in Sydney, and we came to a new home here in Brisbane, but we came the long way, and we went camping for six months around Australia. If uh, there's a couple of photos up there on the screen, we camped in some wonderful places. We camped in places where we actually wanted to stay longer. 
We camped right on, on the ocean and we snorkeled straight off uh, the shore and we wished we could stay there longer, but there was new places to see and there was new things that we wanted to experience, so eventually we packed up and, and we moved on. There was other places that we uh, stopped and we stayed and they were awful places. You know, there, there, there were places where we were eaten alive by mozzies. There was places where we had to uh, wear fly nets because just drawing breath meant that you would inhale several flies if you did not have a fly net on your head. We we're pretty happy to leave places like that. You know, some of you aren't going to believe this, but we once camped under a tree that had so many cicadas in the tree that at night time they all started to urinate together and we were sitting there, we thought it had started raining, but it was simply a mass of cicada urine falling on us. And we're sitting under the tree with umbrellas up so the cicada urine didn't get in our food. I know that's hard to believe, but that is a true story. And uh, we were pretty happy. We were pretty happy to pack up and move on from that place. And that's what camping is. We go somewhere temporary. And then we move on to the next place or we move on towards home. You know, this passage I'm going to read today as we go through uh, this, uh, the book of Exodus and we remind ourselves of the salvation story of Israel and the way that it, uh, it points to the salvation that we have in Jesus. It's a time when, when Israel's on a camping trip. They've actually left their old home and they're heading towards their promised new home and they've got to go camping for a couple of months. They've got to camp along the way. And in this story we're going to read, we see some of them start to hate camping. Let's read Exodus chapter 14. Says, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haeroth. I've got no idea how to say that, but it's something like that. Between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea. Now, normally, camping by the sea, as you can see from some of our photos, is a great place to camp. We all like to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Just a really, really quick, you know, uh, summary so far. You know, the nation of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for, you know, a couple of hundred years now. Life had got really, really bad. They'd been groaning to God. And so God sent them a deliverer named Moses. And he called Moses to be a, a leader that would go to Pharaoh and, and say, God said, let my people go. And so Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I, I don't want them to go. And so God God began to send plagues upon the nation of Egypt to convince Pharaoh that he needed to let people go. All sorts of plagues happened. Pharaoh took no notice and until there was a plague of death that came over Egypt and the firstborn male in every family died except for the Israelites' home who put the blood, Tim's already talked about it this morning, put the blood over the uh, doorpost of their house and the blood saved them. The angel of death passed over and they were saved. And finally Pharaoh decides 
to let God's people go. And so the nation of Israel escape. They leave their old home and they head towards their promised new home and they're camping on the way. The only problem is as they get started on their camping trip, Pharaoh changes his mind. And Pharaoh decides, actually, I've just lost my whole slave labor force. I want them back. And so Pharaoh gets 600 chariots, which is the most powerful weapon of war at the time, and all of his powerful fighting men, and they chase after the people of Israel. And so Israel are camped. They are camped at this spot where God told them to camp. They set their tents up, and right in front of them is the Red Sea, impossible to cross. Either side of them are inhospitable mountains, desert mountains. No way that two million people can escape up over those mountains. And when they look behind them, they see this marauding army coming towards them, wanting to kill them. Now, all of a sudden, even those people who loved camping now hate camping. Two million people now start whinging about this camping spot. They start whinging about the leader who's brought them here. They they, they start worrying that they're about to die, and they start whining for the past. And this is what God says if we continue on. In the story in Exodus 14, we skip down to verse 10. It says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to Move on. Everyone say, move on. Just say it again so I know you get it. Move on. God says, move on. I I want you to move on. Stop worrying about this army that's coming against you. Stop whinging about the leader that I've given you and stop whining for the past. Pack up and Move on. And I wonder whether there's some of us here today who have been camped in a spot for too long and God would say to you, like he's saying to Israel in in this passage, it's time to pack up and move on. It's time to pack up and move on. This was a temporary spot to stay. You've stayed here long enough. Now stop worrying Stop whinging, stop whining for the past. It's time to pack up and say it with me, move on. Just say it with me again, move on. It's time to move on. You know, I reckon some of us, like the Israelites, 
have been camped in the valley of fear for too long and it's time to move on. Let's go back to verse, uh, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and it says they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. You see, what happened is they looked up from their, their pleasant camping spot by the sea and, and they saw the most powerful man with the strongest army on earth coming against them and they were terrified. And you could say, well, fair enough. That's scary. But, but remember what Israel have just seen in, in the days and the weeks before. They, they've actually seen a power struggle going on. They've seen a power struggle but between the God that they'd forgotten about and the most powerful man on earth. The only thing is, it was no struggle for God. But God was gracious to Pharaoh. And instead of wiping him out from day one, God showed grace to Pharaoh and he kept giving him wake-up calls. He gave plague after plague after plague as a wake-up call because he didn't want them to die. He wanted to save them from death and so he's giving them a wake-up call before his selfishness and sin would cause death. And God does that to all of us. He gives us wake-up calls until our sin and our selfishness will ultimately result in death. There's no real power struggle going on here. God is just being gracious. But Pharaoh was too proud to humble himself before God and he was too selfish to let his workforce go. And so his sin did result in death. Death had come over the nation of Egypt. And these people camping by the sea and looking, looking back at this army coming against them, they were, they were terrified. They've just witnessed the power of God defeat the most powerful man on earth. But when they see this army coming against them, their fear blinded their faith. And that's what fear does to all of us. Fear blinds your vision of faith. When we live in the valley of fear, as, as living in a dark place, we can't see a way out. We can't see a way through. We can't see possibility for change. Because life gets dark and life gets small when we live in the valley of fear. And I wonder if some of us have been camped in the valley of fear for too long. You see, you get stuck in the valley of fear when you fear what is coming against you more than you fear the God who has the power to save you. Let me say it again. You get stuck in the valley of fear when you fear what is coming against you more than you fear the God who has the power to save you. You see, God's not to be taken lightly. What we see in this passage, he has the power to judge sin and save us from sin. He has the power to take life and he has the power to save life. Je Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, do not fear man, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul 
in hell. You see, if you're living in fear of man, if you're living in fear of what others think of you, you'll you'll never share your salvation story. You'll never share about Jesus with those around you for fear that you'll be rejected. And you're going to keep people, you're going to keep others in the dark about who God is. If you're living in fear of failure, you'll never step out in faith to follow the dreams that God has put in your heart because you fear that that if you, you fail, you'll be rejected. See, this whole nation's camping by the Red Sea. They're absolutely freaking out. But Moses is full of faith. Moses is full of faith. He says, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Do not give up on God now. Stand firm and you will see God save us. He will fight for us. This this won't be our battle to fight. He's going to fight for us. And you see, the difference is Moses had had a personal encounter with the presence of God. Moses had seen the burning bush that didn't burn up. And he ended up on his face and hiding himself, you know, from the radiance of God, from the presence of God. He'd encountered the presence of God. And Moses, through this journey of of the last months or years, has actually realized that God is to be more greatly feared than any man or anything else on this earth. And you see, if you're going to move on from the valley of fear... There needs to be a hunger for the presence of God, a hunger to encounter God personally for yourself. As you worship Him, there's a hunger for His presence. As you read His Word, there's just a hunger to personally encounter the power and presence of God. As you pray and as you fast, there's a desperate hunger that you would encounter the power and presence of God because that is your way out of the valley of fear. We get stuck in the valley of fear. We camp there for too long when we fear what is coming against us more than we fear the sovereign God of the universe who has the power to save us. We're actually supposed to live with a holy fear of God, a reverence and awe of the power and the presence of God. God is not to be taken lightly. I reckon there's some of you here this morning And right now you'd say, I know I've been camped in the valley of fear for too long and God would say to you this morning, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And it comes through hungering for the very presence and the power of God, to encounter God personally for yourself. And then all of your problems and challenges seem a little bit smaller. Some of you have been camped in the desert of blame for too long and it's time to move on. Verse 11, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Look at the words there. It's you that brought us out of Egypt to die. It's you that's done this to us. You know, they were groaning and crying out to God for who knows how long for God to rescue them, to set them free. And now they're free. 
and they're facing the first challenge that, uh, that in this new free world, their first bit of difficulty, and they want to point the finger of blame at someone. You see, when life hasn't turned out as we'd hoped, we look for someone to point the finger of blame at. It's not new. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and Adam comes before God and says, what are, you know, God says, what have you done? What does he do? He points at Eve. So she made me do it. She, this woman you put me here with, it's kind of her fault and a little bit of your fault. You put her here. Uh, the blame's not mine, it's hers. You see, the blame game started in Genesis chapter 3 and it's never stopped. They get out into the desert and things aren't going quite as easy as they'd hoped. And they want to point the finger of blame at Moses. And today, thousands of years later, you know, we live in the most litigious time in history and we live in a culture today in this nation of displaced responsibility. If something goes wrong in my life, if something happens to me, there must be someone else to point the finger at and blame. It can't be my responsibility. And some of you have been pointing the finger for too long at things that haven't turned out quite as you had hoped and you've been camped for too long in the desert of blame. And it's not a good place to camp. I've taken my family camping in the desert. We drove across the Simpson Desert a few years ago. And you were driving, just uh, some, might be a photo. You're driving up sand dunes like this in the middle of the desert and you're thinking maybe just on the other side there's going to be a river. There's going to be a lake. You know, there's going to, the ocean will be there. You know, there'll be some relief in sight. Or maybe there's going to be McDonald's on the other side. But you get over that sand dune and you just find there's more sand dunes or an idiot planking on top of his car. And it's just exactly the same as the last sand dune you went over. In fact, in the Simpson Desert, there is 1,100 of those sand dunes to drive over with no relief in sight. It was kind of a fun place to go camping, but you didn't want to stay there too long. It's dry and it's barren. And that's what happens. That's what happens when, when you live in this place of blame, when you're always pointing the finger at somebody else for what's gone wrong in your life. You, what will happen is if you keep doing that, it might feel good just for a moment to blame somebody else. But the longer you keep doing it, it, it never helps anyone. It doesn't help the person you're blaming and it doesn't help you. You actually end up in a place of relational barrenness and brokenness, a place where you're spiritually barren and you're not allowing God to do His work in you and relationally broken and bro those broken relationships will, will never turn around until you stop pointing the finger and you start to put out your hand of forgiveness. You start to embrace with love. I reckon there's some of us here that have been camped in the desert of blame for too long and you're wondering why 
you're spiritually dry. You're wondering why relationships keep breaking around you. You see, we get stuck in the desert of blame when we blame others for our suffering rather than believe God for our salvation. You see, there often are others at fault that cause us to suffer. I'm not denying that. But just keeping on blaming isn't going to bring healing. But God can. One of the verses I love the most in the book of Romans, verse 28 in chapter 8, it says that our God is able to work all things together for good to those who are called according to his loving purpose. The good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives, if we take it to God, God is miraculous. And I love, I just love, that's why I love hearing some of these salvation stories. God is able to take some of the dumb things we've done and some of the dumb things and hurtful things that others have done to us, and he's able to work them together for good. He's incredible like that. See, the question is this morning, are you going to live in the desert of blame and keep pointing the finger or you're going to start to actually believe that God can save you, He can heal you, He can redeem what has hurt you for His good? And there'll be some of us today who actually need to stop pointing the finger and we need to move on from the desert of blame and put out a hand of forgiveness to embrace with love for the sake of your relationship with God, for the sake of your relationships with others around you. Move on from the desert of blame. And some of you, this seems like a strange place to camp, but we do it. Some of us have been camped in the cemetery of past glory for too long, and it's time to move on. Verse 12, it says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Listen to this next bit. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This has been a group of people that have been groaning and crying out to God, possibly for generations, for God to save them and to set them free. And now that they're free and they're facing a fresh challenge, they want to go back to what is known. They want to, when they're, when they're walking into the unknown, they actually start to glorify the past that they knew. All of a sudden, Egypt wasn't so bad. How quickly that they've forgotten that they were, they were working themselves to, or they were being forced to work to death. Their sons were being slaughtered. They've been groaning for release, for freedom, for salvation. But this happens to us all. We start to get into unknown places. And the past doesn't seem that bad. They're glorifying their past. And when we glorify the past, we miss out on seeing the glory of God today. You see, the sole purpose that God had them camping in that spot to begin with was because he wanted to glorify himself. Let's read the next few verses. Verse 15 says, The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to... Tell the Israelites to... Raise your staff 
and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Listen to this. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You see, God's about to do something glorious before their eyes, but they couldn't see it because they keep looking back to the past and they keep glorifying the past. We've all got glory days. No, glory days are the good old days. You know, my grandfather, who I talked about a few weeks ago, he used to point back to the glory days of the 50s. And uh, they were good old days. Dad used to come home from work, just put his feet up on the couch, click his fingers, and the kids would come and take off his work boots and put on his slippers. Wife would bring his pipe and his paper and his hot meal put on his lap. I mean, put your hand up if they're good old days. Susan often says, I should have been born in the 50s. That's not actually what my grandfather was talking about because that still happened to him in the 90s. But my grandfather talked about back in the 50s when the Sunday school at their church was full and every kid in the community went to Sunday school. It was overflowing. It was just normal part of the culture. Oh, the glory days. I heard about it in the late 70s when I was a kid. In the 90s, when I started in ministry, you know, I'd hear people looking back to the 70s. Those were the glory days. You know, the Jesus movement, the crazy things that, that God did in that time. And you move into the 2010s and you hear people pointing back to the 90s and the time of charismatic renewal and God doing new things in the church. They were the glory days. You know, it's, it's good to have times like that to look back on. But you don't want to camp there too long. Because when we glorify the past, we miss out on seeing the way that God wants to glorify himself today. You know, in Isaiah chapter 43, you know, hundreds of years after the crossing of the Red Sea, the prophet Isaiah he says he looks back to the time that the God made a way through the Red Sea. But then he says, you know, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing today. And God is always doing a new thing. You see, cemeteries are good places to visit. I bet I'm probably only one of two families that come to this church who have camped in a cemetery. Anyone here camped in a cemetery? I know one other family that has their camping right next to us. Why do you reckon we camped there? Because it was free. It was the only free place to camp in town. And there was just a, a fence with a bit of grass where uh, people could camp above the grass. On the other side of the fence, people were camped under the grass. The people camped under the grass, weren't moving on anytime soon. Us that were camping above the grass, just next door, you know, we were pretty ready to move on the next day. You know, camping somewhere is free is good, but you won't want to stay there too long. And that's what cemeteries are like. They're good places to visit 
we go back and we honour the past. We remember those in the past. We learn mistakes from the past. You don't want to live in a cemetery. There's, there's nothing, there's no new life in a cemetery. You know, some of us, it's not so much past glory. But some, some of us here is past regret. We've been camped in past regret for too long. And they're actually opposite things, but it has the same result. See, whether you camp for too long in past glory or past regret, what it does is it deadens your soul to the new things God wants to do today. It deadens your soul to the new things that God wants to do today because God is always doing a new thing. He's not finished with you yet. Can I hear an amen to that? He's done some great things in this church in the past, but he's not finished with this church yet. Do you believe that? He's done some great things across this nation in the past, but he is not finished with this nation yet. It doesn't matter how good the past was. It doesn't matter how bad the past was, how much regret that we have. Our God is on the move. God is doing a new thing. Our God is a God who is always bringing new life to situations that that are difficult, that are painful. When we live in the glory of the past, we miss out on seeing the glory of God today. Moses doesn't look back on the past But as they're camped, as they're camped by the sea of impossibility, God says, by faith raise your staff over the sea. And Moses does. He says, stretch out your hand and I'll divide the water. And God does. We see one of the most powerful moves of God in history. Because someone chooses to believe God and begins to move towards the promise of God. I want us to get this this morning. If you want to see a move of God in your life, if you want to see a move of God in this church, if you want to see a move of God in this nation, it begins with ordinary people like me and you actually beginning to move towards the promise of God. When you move towards the promise of God, you get to see a move of the power of God of God. Too many of us are sitting by the sea of impossibility just waiting for God to pour out power into our lap, just waiting for God to provide everything we need. God's actually calling us to get on the move because he's on the move all the time and and he wants us to be part of seeing his power poured out on the earth. Let me just read the next bit of this passage, one of the great moves of God. says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. 
And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. I tell you, God is still moving in power. He's still looking for people who are willing to trust his word and begin to move towards the promises of God to see great moves of the power of God. I know this principle is true. I've seen it true in my own life. I've seen it true in the lives of others. You want to see a move of God in your finances? Begin to move towards the promise of God. Give and it will be given to you. You know, pouring over. You want to see a move of God in your marriage, in your family? Begin to move towards the promise of God. Children, obey your parents and it will go well with you. Some of you go home, stick it on your wall. You know, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. You want, you want to see a move of the power of God in your ministry? You, you've actually got to start to move towards those who need healing. You've got to start to pray for the sick and pray for the hurting. You, you want to see people come to the saving power of Jesus. Some of us actually need to start moving, you know, in the direction of people who need to hear the good news and actually share it. You want to see a move of the power of God, you have to move by faith towards the promise of God. Moses believed that this promised land was theirs to take and he begins to move by faith towards it in the direction of impossibility. Impossible for man, but possible for God. Some of you today, you see an impossible seed across. Whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your ministry to people, you see an impossible seed across and you're kind of sitting still in one place, camped there just waiting for God. You know, if God doesn't do it for me while I'm standing here, then I, I, there's nothing I can do. What God calls us to do is actually begin to move towards the promise of God, trusting that he's going to give us what we need, stepping out into unknown waters, trusting that he can part the sea. Some have been camped in the same spot for too long and it's time to move on towards the promise of God. You know, we, we like to camp on mountaintops. Mountaintops are good places to camp. Life is spectacular on the mountaintop. Life is beautiful on the mountaintop. It's kind of place that you'd like to stay a little longer. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes his three best mates, Peter, James and John, 
up a mountain. And it's pretty spectacular. Uh, up there, Moses, who we're just reading about here, died hundreds of years earlier, turns up. Elijah, Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, they're heroes of their faith, turn up on top of the mountain. Not only that, Jesus, who they'd been hanging around with and eating with for the last few years, is transfigured before them. For the first time in their life, they see that he's not just an ordinary broke with some cool magic tricks. They actually see his heavenly body. They see him revealed in his glory and have to hide their face from him, just like Moses had to hide his face from, the burning, from God in the burning bush. It's a pretty ma- good mountaintop experience. And what do Peter, James, and John say? Let's put up some tents. Let's stay here. Let's put up a tent and stay here. This is a good place to stay. And Jesus actually doesn't directly answer them. But there's two important things that we see here. First, that we see that the salvation that Jesus gives us is a greater salvation than Moses brought Israel. You know, God says, this is my son. You've listened to Moses. You've listened to Elijah. I want you to listen to him. With him, I'm well pleased. Now, there was a time in history when because of Moses, the, of Moses' faith, the, the nation was saved and crossed over onto dry ground. But then once again, they weren't willing to walk towards the promise of God and they ended up camping for 40 years when they're only supposed to camp for a few months. And so Moses rode up, rose up, another, God rose up another leader named Joshua And he began to move towards the promise of God and they crossed over the Jordan River into their promised land, into the new home that God had always promised them. There were great men of faith, great saving moments in history. But God is pointing out that when Jesus walks to the cross, this his son who has all of his glory, actually empties himself of that glory and walks by faith. He empties himself and walks to death, trusting that his Father has the power to raise him from the dead. He begins to walk towards the promise of his Father, trusting in the power of his Father to raise him from the dead. Firstly, we see that Jesus' salvation is the greatest salvation. It's the salvation for, for all of us for all time. We might not see the parting of the Red Sea as a daily occurrence in our lives, but we see the power of Jesus to defeat sin and death in our lives every day. Just like we've heard Luke's story here today and many of our own stories, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives, it's a greater salvation. It's a crossing over in John 5 verse 24. It says those who put their faith in Jesus have crossed over not just from one side of the sea to the other, but they've crossed over from death to life. God says, this is my son. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's a greater salvation. And secondly, we're supposed to have mountaintop experiences. We're supposed to have times where we go up on the mountain and we we just come face to face with God and we're just in love with God and just awesome experiences. But we're not supposed to camp there forever. Look at what Jesus does. He immediately takes his best mates down the mountain. 
And immediately they're surrounded by people who are suffering in sin and evil and sickness. And they don't know what to do. His father just distraught because his young boy is possessed and sick and no one can heal him. But Jesus has the power to heal. And he says to his followers that are with him, he says, I'm teaching you to do something here. When you know the power of my father living within you, you can actually tell mountains to move from here to there, and they will. This is not a futile faith we're called to. Following Jesus is a faith where we begin to move towards the promise of God and see a great move of the power of God in our lives, in our church, and in this nation. I reckon today is moving time for a whole bunch of people. I'm going to get the band to come up on stage. I just believe it's time for a whole bunch of us here today to actually pack up our tent because we've been camped in the one spot for too long and it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And that's going to mean something different for a whole bunch of people in this room. But I really believe that today is an important day for a whole bunch of people. I actually believe it's an important day for the heart of our church. Today's a day to, to move on together by faith. You know, there's some of you here today and you actually haven't yet crossed over from death to life. You haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. You haven't asked Jesus to forgive your sins on the cross and to receive his new life when he was raised from the dead. You don't yet have a salvation story like Luke's. Or maybe it like Luke, sometime in the past you kind of knew about God but you've walked away from him. I reckon there's a bunch of people here today who today's your day to move on, to cross over from death to life. There's a prayer we're going to put on the screen right now. And I reckon some of you need to pray that prayer with me today. I'm just going to ask all of us to stand. It's a prayer of saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Jesus, I want to move from death to life. And you want to know with absolute certainty that you've done that. I actually believe today is just an important time to, to move on. There's some of you, maybe you've prayed that prayer in the quietness of your own heart, but today is a time to move on and say, hey, I, I want to declare this in front of this church. I want to get baptized. I, I'm going to invite some others to come down a little later on, but just firstly, as Mark leads us in singing this song, if today is your day to say, I, I want to move from death to life, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, and I want everyone to know it. I'm going to ask you just to walk to the front in just a moment. Or if today you're here and you say, hey, I know it's, I've been camped in this place for too long, and it's time, it's time to nail my colours to the mast and to get baptised. I'm moving on with God today. I'm going to get our prayer team to come down the front uh, right now, and our pastoral team. But if today's your day to pray that prayer, or to decide to get baptised, I actually want you to physically move today. I know it takes some courage to do that in front of all these people, but I know this church. I know what's going to happen. 
If you will have the courage to move and say, that's me, today I'm moving on from where I've been camped, this place is going to go nuts. They're going to clap and they're going to cheer and they're going to encourage you all the way down those aisles. If that's you, just, just start to come down. You just say, today's the day to move on put my faith in Jesus or to nail my colours to the mast and say, hey, I'm getting baptised. Just, just begin to move from where you are right now as Mark leads us to sing. Don't, don't wait too long. If you wait, you won't come. Some of you actually just need to start to move now. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.